Hi, CityCast listeners. It's Friday, which means it's time to round out this week's news. I'm here with political contributor Evan Mintz and producer A.K. Al Molman. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm Carly Ann Jones, and here is what Houston's talking about. Evan and A.K., are y'all ready to talk about the news? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, yes. Oh, you sound you sound ready to go, Evan. So let's start with you. What was your biggest story this week? I really think that the biggest story in Houston this week was the amount of attention being paid to deaths in the Harris County Jail. Now, mm. the story of people dying unjustly in the jail isn't new. This has been going on mm. for a long time, too long. But the different thing this week was one families going up to Austin to testify in the state house about how their family members have died in that mm-hmm. jail. People who are still legally innocent, people who are only being detained because they couldn't afford cash bail, bringing that mm-hmm. attention to the highest levels I think is important. And two, seeing it be covered not only by the brand new Houston Landing website, which has an incredible article about how many of these people had mental illness when they died, but also seeing it be covered by Channel 13. Now, usually Mm. TV news covers the uh, if it bleeds, it leads angle of criminal justice. Mm -hmm. Who killed whom? And there isn't really a follow up on like, well, how's this whole system actually working? And the fact that they followed these families up to Austin, reported on them and talked about this as something that viewers should care about, I think is a key change in how media covers this issue. Because when someone kills someone else, they're wrong, they're bad. We need to get justice. Mm -hmm. We need to stop it from happening. But when a public institution like our jail kills someone, that's on all of us. The blood is on Mm -hmm. all of our hands. And we all have a responsibility to stop this from happening. Yeah, this has been like an ongoing thing, uh, Mm -hmm. especially on our show. I mean, we had an entire show with Carrie talking about the overflow of Harris County Jail. We had a news story about the the head honcho over there stepping down. It has been a mess for the last almost two years at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the transfers to Louisiana where yeah. a couple of, of inmates passed away on in the transfer. It, top to bottom, it seems like this is endemic of like a larger foundational issue at the county jail. Absolutely. And I have to say, I was a little worried when Carrie Blakinger said she was leaving Texas for Los Angeles. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's a benefit for the people of Los Angeles, terrifying for the people in the criminal justice system in Los Angeles who run that system because she's going to be on them. <laughs> yeah. But I worried, you know, the, does it mean that we weren't going to have a critical analysis of what's going on here? And clearly, uh, other reporters are filling in those gaps. And that's great to see. You know, I just want to give a shout out to the reporters who are on the story at Channel 13. It's Pooja uh, Loda and Sarah Rafiq. Uh, You've got over at Houston Landing, uh, Alex Stuckey is on that. So it's just great to see that people understand this is a story that we need to know better that needs to have the disinfecting light of sunshine put upon it. Sure. Mm-hmm. I agree because these are people at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. They don't deserve what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we really do need mm-hmm. a change. So I'm happy that their families are also standing up and going to Austin to really try to affect a change and that the news organizations are making the effort to also notify everybody and be mm-hmm. like, hey, like, let's fix this, you know? Yep. 
Oh, absolutely. And also, it's a fundamental issue of public safety and uh, and justice. Like for mm -hmm. one, research finds that when people are held pretrial, it's associated with actually a higher incidence of reoffense. This is a study called mm. uh, the Hidden Cost of Pretrial Detention Study. And so this idea that people are just sitting and waiting in the jail uh, isn't something that makes us safer. It actually makes us less safe. It actually uh, puts community safety at risk over the long term. So that's something that we want to get at. And two, mm -hmm. if people are stuck there just because they can't afford cash bail and then they're dying because of that, like that shows that something is fundamentally broken about how that whole system works and we need to get at it. And that's something mm -hmm. that really has to happen at the state level. Yeah. Yeah. I completely yeah, agree. for sure. AK, what was your biggest story? Mine is, is a little hefty as well. I don't know if y'all have heard about the Texas refineries that are, that are dumping tons yes. of wastewater into our rivers. Um, it seems like from 2019 to 2021, six Houston area refineries have been pumping about 55 million gallons of wastewater into our waterways. And, it's crazy. Uh, uh, it's, it's like the, the content of these chemical waste is, is out of this world. It includes like arsenic, selenium, cyanide, benzene, mercury. I have all been found in this like wastewater that's being mm. pumped out by these refineries. This report was done by a Washington, ba a DC based nonprofit. Uh, it's called the Environmental Integrity Project. And it looked at how the EPA basically has failed to maintain the regulations that they've set and or even update the regulations that they've had. They haven't updated their regulations since the 80s. Uh, they do a review every other year, but they really haven't changed any of the regulations that they maintain. Mm -hmm. But the bigger story, I think, here is our regulatory bodies here in Texas and in Houston. The Texas Commission on Environmental Quality is the one that's kind of in charge of issuing regulations to companies and refineries. And they're notoriously known mm -hmm. for the fact that they're business, very business friendly, that uh, mm -hmm. they see a lot of this stuff, that they review a lot of this stuff, but they really don't implement any regulatory regulations on a lot of these refineries. And the Texas legislature isn't jumping at their at their heels to try and kind of fix the issue. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, to, to the point it's gotten where uh, a while back, multiple nonprofit organizations submitted a petition to the Texas legislature to take a look that the state barely regulates at all uh, any of the refineries that exist here. I think you're spot on. You know, the TCEQ is a joke. Like, let's not get around that. Uh, and it also, whenever you bring up pollution in Texas, people are like, well, you know, this is Texas. We need oil. You know, we need those refineries, mm -hmm. this part of it. And I always feel like I've got a two-part response. You know, one is that we can go after the things that actually harm us, not the things we don't mm -hmm. like. Like, you can regulate pollution while still supporting the industry, while still having these refineries work. It is possible. Uh, and two, you know, the pollution that's being poured into our waterways, into Galveston Bay, you know, it hurts other industries. It hurts the yep. fishing mm -hmm. industry. It hurts the oyster mm -hmm. industry. It hurts the tourism industry. You know, these things also make money. These things also keep the uh, keep the state going. And if you're going to say like, well, we're going to sacrifice the entire uh, fishing industry in Galveston Bay 
so that we can have slightly higher profit margins for the refineries that exist. I say, like, that's a bad deal. I'm not going to make that investment. Like, we can mm-hmm. have both. We can do two things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, j- just to kind of give you a perspective, uh, the Phillips 66 refinery in Sweeney, it's about an hour south of Houston, they violated their water pollution permit, which isn't isn't something that's that aggressive on them. 44 times from 2019 to 2021, they mostly were dumping excessive amounts of cyanide into the Brazos River. They were only fined $30,000. And then when I was reading this story, I saw that basically the EPA doesn't even have regulations on a lot of the stuff that's being dumped into the water. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the basis of it is that they don't even yeah. have a regulation for how much can be dumped into the water as if it's not toxic or bad for us. Like this is not mm-hmm. good for humans. It's not good for, like you said, the fish that are in the water. It's a really bad thing. And so we're just so focused on making money here in Texas that they're just kind of like, forget everybody else and what's good for people's health. It's scary. You know, I kind of view this as a law and order thing, too. Like, if there are laws, if there are regulations saying you can't do this and people keep doing it, like, where are the folks out there with the blue striped American flag saying lock them up? Yes. Like, they're breaking the law. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, who's yeah. going to jail for this one? <laughs> Not that we need more people in the jail, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like so like someone steals a thing of detergent from Kroger and they're gonna be put in the slammer. Like someone dumps mm. like tons of pollutants out of the public. It's like, well, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, this is like multi million dollars worth of damage being done to like our public resources. And you know, I, I heard this saying once and it's really stuck with me. It's like we don't punish laws in America, we don't punish law breaking, we punish bodies. And if there's no body that we can punish for this, then like no one's going to get punched. Then nothing's going to happen. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what seems to be happening. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, my big story is not much lighter, honestly. <laughs> um, so there's been a six-year-old child who was repeatedly assaulted on a school bus in Aldine ISD. Um, and his mom is calling for resignations from members of the school and also the transportation department there, rightfully so, because allegedly these assaults have been happening for months on the back of the school bus. And the mom had no clue until the, her child, which is a first grader, came home from school without a backpack. So, oh. you know, that kind of left some questions in the air for her. Um, she went to go talk to the bus driver. And he told her that an older student had thrown the child's backpack out the window. They went to go review the security tapes. And what they found was that this six-year-old had been being lured to the back of the bus en route. And at least one middle schooler was sexually abusing the child. Um, Well, the middle schooler told the child that This was a game that they were playing and that if he told anyone about the game, that he would lose. So the child had been keeping quiet about it, but it was so extensive of abuse that the child actually had to be treated in the hospital afterwards. Um, And so activists right now are saying that the trauma just could have been avoided if the district had used like chaperones on the bus or kept the younger children, the older children separated on different routes. Um, And it's just this story was just like so heartbreaking to me because it's just that that's a lot of trauma for a child to have to go through. And mm-hmm. it's scary that you're just putting your kid yeah. on a school bus to go like get their education. And this is happening, you know? 
Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It is, is astounding and and shocking. And I think something else that might be part of the story. We you know I don't know the specifics. There's a lot of specifics I don't think we know. Uh, but that one of the best ways to protect kids, to empower kids so they can stay safe from abuse is to give them the language uh, they know Mm -hmm. to report it. So they Mm -hmm. can say like, you know, my body parts are being touched so that they can say I am the boss of my own body and nobody else can tell me what to do. Uh, But Mm -hmm. when you try to get that to kids, when you try to get that through schools to kids, there's always a pushback saying like, why are you bringing up these inappropriate topics to kids? Mm -hmm. Why are you sexualizing Mm -hmm. these kids by teaching them the proper names of body parts? And, And the answer that you'll get from psychologists is like, this works. If you want kids to be able to report and know that something is going wrong, then you have to teach them that. Like the kid is six years old. You know, they're still learning. They don't know. (laughs) And if you just give them this base level of information, uh, then it can keep them safe. They can report to an adult. And it seems like Mm -hmm. that maybe there's a bigger lesson there about making sure that all kids in our schools just get that, you know, hour long class lesson of you're the boss of your own body. These are the names of mm-hmm. body parts. No one can touch them except you. If someone else does, tell an adult. It's it's also, yeah, it's also really concerning to me, like, that they don't separate the older kids from the younger kids on buses. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. is that a, like a funding issue? I'm not really sure if it's a funding issue or not. I mean, I would think that it is based on money and, yeah. you know, it's just easier to put everybody on one bus, you know, but... Yeah, they're not separating them at all. Like they're just able to mix yeah. freely, you know. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, like the difference between like a fifth or fourth grader and like someone in like seventh or eighth grade is like massive. Like mm-hmm. those kids like develop so quickly. Like the power dynamic shifts so quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy to have them be, especially in that enclosed space. Schools are always clicky. There's always like bigger, more popular kids and more bullied kids. Like you, you're then putting them in a more enclosed space. I feel like just doesn't help anyone psychologically in that situation. Mm-hmm. And like anything that empowers a kid to like have ownership of their body, like just the fact that they're like empowered to be like, no, 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 no. Like, and and if you give kids that confidence, like kids will run with it. Mm-hmm. But. When they don't have it, it's it's when it becomes really heartbreaking. Yeah. So, okay, let's go to the Overlook story. I'm hoping that this is a little lighter. Is yours a little lighter, Evan? Um, Depends. It's about the Ike Dyke. <laughs> hey, I've heard so much about your love for the Ike Dyke. Well, I just think that it's critical that we protect all of our infrastructure, all of our refineries, all of our uh, coastal regions, from a storm surge, from a hurricane coming up Galveston Bay, pushing a 20-foot high wall of water into all the storage tanks and neighborhoods and refining uh, infrastructure, Uh, not just to protect the industry and everyone's jobs. Like, this is, like, I love Houston. This is why we're here, but also to prevent the environmental disaster that would happen. However, Mm -hmm. new reports from the Houston Chronicle uh, have identified that the design of the Dike. Uh, would not allow for the largest ships to pass through into the Houston Ship Channel, that the gate would not be big enough. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of coverage of this yet, but it seems like a pretty big issue that if we're going to spend, you know, nearly $30 billion building this thing to protect uh, our refineries, to protect the oil and gas infrastructure, that it should, you know, like facilitate the continuing function of this infrastructure. And if the Mm. biggest ships can't get through, then what's the point 
yeah, that, that's kind of insane. That's kind of really counterintuitive yeah. to the yeah. whole point of so the thing. It, it kind of feels like back to the drawing board. Like, let's get another design up there that can mm-hmm. uh, accommodate these big ships. Yeah, we don't want a Suez Canal situation. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, AK? What was your most overlooked story? So mine is about one, a thing that I constantly hear is a superpower of Houston. It's, uh, it's about the fact that we don't have zoning, but it's also about the fact that we mm-hmm. don't use that advantage uh, correctly. So recently there's been a bunch of backlash over some affordable housing that's being built in richer neighborhoods like Tanglewood, uh, uh, Briarsgates, places like those. Uh, basically, the resident of the uber wealthy and the uber influential of Houston. There were plans to build affordable housing. At the face of it, it sounds like really mean to have backlash towards people being afforded to live in neighborhoods. But it seems that activists of affordable housing are joining hands with the wealthy in the area to combat this because it seems like it's not well thought out at all to the point where the mayor had to stop it. So the idea is, is that uh, a lot of these houses are being built as like mixed multi-complex affordable housing mm-hmm. like um apartment buildings. And the issue is, is that a lot of the owners, a lot of the developers are kind of building a few of the units to be quote unquote affordable, uh, but not the rest of them. And we don't actually have a standard definition of what affordable means. Actually, a lot of those developers are putting these uh, apartments up and houses up for market value, just the normal market value mm-hmm. may be shrunk by about 30% just to say that they are affordable housing. Um, and it's because of a specific tax credit law. So the tax credit law was a 2015 law creating a tax break for what are known as public facility corporations. It was passed in the Texas legislature, but it wasn't the purpose of the bill that it was attached to. And in the last minute of the bill being passed, the discussion around giving these tax breaks to developers to build affordable housing took about four minutes, like literally four minutes. That's a reporting from the Houston Chronicle. Mm-hmm. So really the law wasn't, um, wasn't thought out, wasn't really, the context of it wasn't brought up. So now activists and rich people have somehow found a common cause to stop something that really isn't providing any benefit to anyone. So it's a mess. It's a messy mess. And the mayor has kind of put a hold on all of this stuff uh, until they figure out what to do with it. Because it seems like at the end of the day, these developers are just taking advantage of a tax loophole instead of actually providing affordable housing. And one of the wealthy people that was quoted in the story I was reading said, I do actually have a problem with affordable housing. I don't want it near me. It affects my like wealth or whatever. But right now, that's not the issue that I have with it. First, let's figure out that it works or not. You know, Houston's always had a problem with uh, affordable housing because our d- idea has been, because we don't have zoning, it's like, well, uh, if you want affordable housing, just kind of drive a little further. We'll keep building cheaper and cheaper homes further and further out. Uh, but yeah. after a certain point, uh, you can't expect people to drive two hours if they're working on the other side of town. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that we've really faced this challenge of, okay, well, how do we make sure that people can live near where they work? And there's been so many fights about trying to get uh, affordable housing into uh, neighborhoods uh, where people really do work. Yep. Uh, but there's something else to all this too. And I keep coming back to a study done by HUD called Moving to Opportunity. And it's a multi-generational uh, look at the impact on families when they move into wealthy neighborhoods. And the idea was that, well, you know, people will do better, will get higher paying jobs, their overall life outcomes will improve. And when you look at the adults, they really don't. Like <laughs> kind of who you are at 25 is going to be who you are forever, no matter where you live. Yep. But when you look at young kids, when kids who are very young, uh, you know, we're talking elementary school age, if not younger, uh, move out of poorer neighborhoods into wealthier neighborhoods, they end up having the live accomplishments of their wealthier peers. They earn more money. They have more stable lives. They're more likely to get married. All the usual hallmarks of like a stable, successful life come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And so it's this real uh, significant intervention in intergenerational poverty. Uh, But the problem is you've got to get those kids into those neighborhoods, into those wealthy schools. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's really a big struggle to pull off because people don't like leaving their own, the old neighborhoods. People like living mm-hmm. with their friends and families. They don't want to go somewhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah. just trying to make that happen in a seamless, accepted way, because we know it's going to have great outcomes, is this massive political struggle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Okay, so my Overlook story was something kind of good for Houston. Yeah, kind of. we're going to say it's, it's good, but like kind of like has a backhanded part to it. So according to the data from Major City Chiefs Association, Houston is the largest metropolitan area in the country to experience a significant drop in violent crimes. So violent crimes in- includes homicides, rapes, robberies, aggravated assaults, um, which is great news. Great, great news. Right. <laughs> the flip side of it is that even though it sounds great the rate of violent crimes is still higher than it was before the pandemic. Mm. So it's kind of the flip side of it. Um, and then nonviolent property crimes like car thefts actually increased. So we're doing good in some areas as far as like lowering crime. We're moving in the right direction. I yeah, think. exactly. Like we're moving in the right direction. We're not all the way there yet. Like it sounded like a really good stat. And then as I read more, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right. Okay. So we're, we're returning to average, uh, like yeah, it's exactly. got regression to the mean type of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I, I just yeah. think, you know, I'll take good news. You know, crime went down. Um, and mm-hmm. I just kind of think it's fascinating that as crime went up, there's an absolute uh, freak out over it and partially deservedly so. But there's this mm-hmm. focus on like trying to find someone to blame and all the focus went on the judges, like the felony yeah. court mm-hmm. judges. And so mm-hmm. now the crime has gone down. Can we say thank you, judges, for like bringing down crime? <laughs> like if they're responsible for it going up, they must be responsible for it going down too. Going right? down. <laughs> yeah. And it just shows how much of a disconnect there is between like what actual crime rates are and like mm-hmm. what the political conversation around them is. Yep. You know, you yeah. never see anyone freaking out about the record high crime rates in Lubbock, Texas. You really don't. But <laughs> if it's in Houston, oh, well, it's a big issue. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like 10 times it's the true. issue. It's it's for the convenience of the argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's get into some real joy, though. Evan, what's making you happy this week? Oh, what's making me happy this week is the announcement of the House committee membership up in Austin. 
because you know that, I love what makes you happy, Evan. That makes me it makes me so happy to see, for example, Joe Moody leading the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee. Just it mm -hmm. makes my heart grow. I am so happy. There'd been a big push by Republicans to say no Democratic chairs. It's not going to happen. But, you know, that's just not how the Texas legislature is set up. If you want to pass a constitutional mm -hmm. amendment, which you got to do for a lot of things, because our Constitution's weird, you need Democrats to help you get that supermajority. And Democrats yeah. aren't going to help you out. They're not going to play ball unless you give them something to make them part of the process. But it's also that Joe Moody is really good on criminal justice issues. And I see good Republicans on there, too. Jeff Leach is on there. Good Republican. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's leading the Judiciary Committee. It's just heartening to see and there are still people who take issues seriously, who earnestly mm -hmm. want to work together to try to solve problems, being put in charge of those problems. Now, I don't have anything nice to say about the Senate. I don't like what's going on in the Senate. But the House, <laughs> it's still got people working together. They're still doing the traditional Texas way of doing things mm -hmm. in the legislature rather than sort of the D.C. way where it really is set up to be us versus them. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I was worried that we would not have that this session. You know, you're kind of, you can tell how the rest of the year is going to go based on those early rules and those early committee memberships. And looking at this, it makes me feel just like a little optimistic. Mm -hmm. Sounds like we got some hope coming. Okay. AK, what's making you happy this week? Mine is really interesting because I never thought it was going to bring me joy. So there's a very common trope in Houston that we make fun of Mardi Gras in Galveston. Well, mm -hmm. because yeah. we don't think it's the real Mardi Gras. Well, it turns out that's not exactly true. Uh, Mardi Gras has been a staple of the island for a very long time. And just learning that brought me a lot of a lot of like joy and like happiness. Like mm -hmm. the island has been running Mardi Gras festivities since 1867. And up until like the mid 50s, they kind of stopped doing them. But then uh, Mr. Mardi Gras, uh, Daniel e. Morgan, who's a former Broadway and network costume designer, came down and worked with George B. Mitchell, who's like this billionaire. And they kind of just brought it back in, mm -hmm. in the 80s. And it's been going strong ever since. It only stopped during the pandemic year. And it's just really impressive. This is a part of like a promo for... Uh, a museum called uh, a museum exhibit called Party by Design that shows like gowns and dresses from uh, a lot of the costumes from a lot of the Mardi Gras of previous years, and they have some that are from those eighteen hundred from the eighteen hundreds. Oh, wow. So, like, if you want to see real, actual Mardi Gras history, you can go to the island, and you can genuinely like see it. Like, like it's not just a New Orleans thing. We we have some claim to it, and. And, and the island is really proud of it. So, yeah, that just made me really happy. So, basically, we need to give it a chance and actually go see what Gallus yeah. and Mardi yes. Gras is talking about. Okay. okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, my moment of joy is that it was announced that Bun B will be performing for Black Heritage Day at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, which we knew he was doing his annual show. Um, but what's cool about it is that he's bringing some Louisiana rappers. So Juvenile and Manny Fresh Ooh. are also going to be performing with him, which I love the idea oh, of this. That's great. Yeah, right. Like it's <laughs> it's cool because like yes. I feel like Houston has become like so involved with the Louisiana culture, just like AK showed like. Mm -hmm 
right now with the Mardi Gras thing. Um, <laughs> yep. So I feel like that's going to be such a fun show because I was wondering how he was going to like uh, diversify it every year with an uh, artist. And yeah, so I'm I'm excited about that. And then also he's going to have Trill Burgers there. I'm going. I'm excited It'll about be that because I still haven't tried it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I still haven't tried it. So I'm going to get me a burger. This might be blasphemy on my part. Ah, I've lived here for 12 years. I've never been to the rodeo. So Okay. It's not bad because I didn't go until last year. Last year was my first time. Okay. So okay. it's okay. I'm going to make okay. this year my first time to try a trail burger. I feel like the secret to the rodeo is like try to go on a weeknight. Uh, mm-hmm. Try to take Metro there mm-hmm. uh, and like be prepared to spend a little too much money. Absolutely. Uh, so it all smells like animal poop. But, like that's fun. That's like part of the experience. Yeah, right. It's fun to watch. I like it. Okay, it's been super fun, y'all. Thank y'all. Yeah, it's right. been a lot. Talk to y'all later. Bye, y'all. That was AK Al Moment, Evan Mintz, and me, Carly on Jones. That's all for today here at CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kispa. Our producers are me, Carly Ann Jones, and AK Al Moman. Our newsletter writer is Brooke Lewis. Our music is by Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Kimonos. Now, if you enjoyed the show, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. We'll be back next week with some more great shows. Until then, bye. Sorry, I was about to say piggies, but I don't think... Do they wrestle pigs? Oh, the kids, <laughs> the kids do. The kids, the kids do. can. Yeah. Yeah, they do the mutton busting. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for, for the cows, but also, like, I'm going to eat that thing later, so... Oh, my gosh. <laughs>